dusty ins, just cause the outs, and let's talk about, let's talk about, let's talk about. Welcome to a new strand to the Let's Talk About the Arts podcast series. I'm Fergal Curtis and this is Let's Talk About the Arts, The Collectives. These mini-series are an opportunity to explore a particular area or topic within the arts industry. I will continue to speak with diverse, unique and passionate artists and in upcoming collective series, other artists will take my place as host or join me behind the mic as a co-host. In this series, I get the opportunity to talk to six fascinating women who have made and continue to make their mark on the opera world. I'm joined by directors, conductors, a choreographer and a stage manager as we get to know some of the other jobs it takes to making the music and stories of opera come alive on the stage. So let's jump into the first collective series, Women in Opera. My guest today is the positive and inspiring choreographer, movement director and data enthusiast, Caitlin Fretwell-Walsh. I am so sorry that everyone had to miss the real start of this interview because... (laughs) It was glorious. Um, I am going to tell you my guest's full name, which is Caitlin Fretwell Walsh, otherwise known as just Caitlin. Just after Caitlin. I was just Caitlin, <laughs> after I was telling her that I've never actually had to say her full name. Um, Caitlin is a choreographer. Um, we worked together. Well, she was working. I was studying. So um, she did my opera scenes when I was in the Royal Academy of Music, which feels like a lifetime ago. It does. That's probably about seven years ago now. I think it was yeah. 2014, maybe. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely mental. And I don't think we've really been in contact since that period or soon after that period. Like I've kept up with you on Instagram and I know people who have worked with you, but I don't think we've actually gotten to sit down and say, hey, how are you? So, hey, how are you? Well, hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm good. Um, I've just taken a week out um, and I've been traveling. Yes. Um, we've been holidaying on the north coast of Cornwall and it's been slightly different from my usual holidays um, because during lockdown we converted a Ford Transit into a camper van um, which was a massive project for my other half um, who is a singer and lost all of his work so his project to keep his mind focused was to provide us with this incredible um, home on wheels essentially and uh, yeah we've just spent six or seven days um, bouncing around on beaches and on cliff faces and all sorts of places across the north of Cornwall and it was awesome it was beautiful yeah that sounds amazing it sounds like such a kind of I suppose a lot of people do do that sort of holiday it's something I've never done I've done camping which would probably be the closest to it um but it sounds amazing and what a cool like activity to have during lockdown and then actually be able to get out on the road oh for sure what were your favorite things about getting out there and 
switching off from the world because you were telling me before we hit record for the second time um <laughs> that you know sometimes you had no phone coverage and you know you just had to embrace each other absolutely and I the mean, surroundings it was so nice no screens um as you say very much off grid most of the time um and it just it slows you down it makes you just a little bit more receptive of where you are and you know how you're giving your energy and, and what choices you're making for that day and another factor was just the spontaneity that it allows you because you know we could wake up you know as, as I was saying to you earlier on a headland and then by evening we were sort of cooking dinner and drinking wine overlooking a beach a um, couple of hours away and not having to move and we could fall asleep sort of listening to the waves and it sounds very dreamy and romantic but it really was it was lovely um and it it's definitely incredible. yeah it's it's such a wonderful way to travel definitely do you know what I would love to actually start there with kind of going off the grid um and the reason I'd actually love to start there I didn't plan on starting there but just you saying it I have been glued to my phone the last few weeks mm. a lot of Instagram time checking Facebook basically I've been living in my screen mm -hmm. and during lockdown one of the things I did learn was to be you know more present and to lift my head up from my screen so after having spent you kind of touched on it a little bit there but what do you think the benefits are from stepping away from the screen um, in our everyday life? So obviously you were in an, in an ideal situation where you couldn't access your phone. But how do you think that that could maybe benefit actual life? I think for me, it helps me slow down a lot. And I think that Instagram and, and other sort of social platforms, because you're scrolling so rapidly through you're not necessarily absorbing information. You're not researching it and living within that information that you're consuming. You're just sort of scrolling and your mind is sort of operating at a very peripheral level in a way to that content that you're absorbing. Whereas obviously mm -hmm. stepping away, you allow your brain to slow down a little. It absorbs your surroundings a little bit slower. You give yourself more time to absorb it as well because you've got nothing else to distract you. And so it gives you just time to take yourself your environment in and then I find that it loosens up my perspective because I think you can get so on track minded on social media you know you've chosen your feed but your feed then becomes quite focused in the things yeah. that you've chosen to follow you know and sometimes that can be helpful because if you've chosen your content wisely then you can be absorbing really cool stuff but at the same time it's still the same things over and over again we don't often declutter our social media sites it's not a weekly um, habit or a monthly habit that we're all in so I find yeah. that removing myself from a device or even just a network you know um, it allows me to declutter a little bit and then when I return to social media um, I might be absorbing it in a slightly different way or even assess whether I want to use that platform um, I've deleted a few of my social media platforms recently just because there was a little bit too much screen time for me as well, to be honest. I think from a lot of us over the past year or so. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think like, you know, I get I get sucked in. I get absolutely hooked. And then when I kind of take those moments of deleting everything or spending time away from it, I'm like, this is it. This is so much better. Like I'm having a better time. Mm. I feel better, all these things. So I always just wonder why 
I like go back and get sucked in. So it's nice to hear someone else's kind of perception who just had that experience. Well, I think for, for, for us, especially, you know, as as people that are often freelance, it's how we stay connected to our colleagues and our friends. So true. Oftentimes we have, I definitely do. I have a mix of all sorts of stuff on my social platforms, not just friends and colleagues, but also I follow theatres and companies and programmes and businesses, you know, that might have yeah. an artistic connection or you know I'm also you know interested in sort of other areas in life and it all sort of compobulates into this one feed um so yeah I think that it can be useful it can be also useful to, to remove yourself from it like you would remove yourself and just spend some time alone if you've been with your friends for a while um it's it, for me it feels like quite a similar exercise in just getting your own space but it's harder to put a small device down that you can have in your back pocket all the time it's kind of like everything for me one of the main lessons I've learned over this kind of past two years we've had or year and a half or whatever month we're at now um is balance like everything I think about in my life whether it be food fitness job career social life everything always seems to be able to tie into balance. Mm -hmm. So I've been like, I'm going to make balance one of kind of my values. And I kind of feel like that with social media, because you said, as you said, there's so much positive to it. There's great ways. There's people I would maybe not speak to if I wasn't on social media and reacting to a story and then being like, oh, and by the way, how are you? You know, you keep those connections. I mean, we we probably wouldn't be having this conversation if it weren't for the fact that we were connected via social media. So I think it's an amazing tool. But like you say, there's a there's a balance to be struck. And um, I think it's it's fine to sort of overindulge and then make yourself aware of it and then take a step back. Like I think everybody does um, and not, you know, get too beaten down by the fact that there's just so much additional noise in your mind. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I'm going to jump in to where I plan to start the interview, which is like myself, you have started a new job that I'm not going to say is not creative, but is maybe not necessarily um, in the artistic industry or would be deemed artistic. You know, you're a choreographer, you're a dancer, and now you're doing something different. And I would love you to tell us maybe a little bit about what that job is how it came about, but then also what you're learning about yourself at the moment from being in this role. So in May last year, two months into the pandemic, um, we realised um, that this wasn't going to go away very quickly. So alternative revenue streams needed to be found. Um, so I scrolled through my phone and checked out some of the apps that I had on there. And one of them happened to be um, a startup fitness app called Fit. So I got in touch with them and they were looking for customer service um, managers to sort of just be answering emails and supporting their um, user base. Um, And so I started working for them and I've been working for them now since May last year. And initially it was a short term endeavor. Um, I thought that I'd be there for a few months. And I think like a lot of us expected to sort of be back at work, you know, be back in the studio or wherever that position might have been in the arts. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was not the case. So after nine months of working in that role, they then um, asked me if I'd like to join them full time. So I'm currently um, a corporate um, relationship manager or a corporate account manager. 
And my job is um, liaising with companies, mostly UK based, some international, um, helping them provide um, fit. So a physical um, fitness app to their employees. So I'm very much now involved in, in the well-being, the tech and well-being space and specifically geared to bringing that element of digital health and fitness to businesses and companies around the world. And uh, like you say, very different to what I was doing Very before. different. Yeah. Do you know what I would love to ask? It kind of, it's reminded me of this time when I actually left college in London, stayed in London was kind of like, what the hell am I doing? I don't know what's <laughs> happening. You know, I'm my head's a bit all over the place after studying. I'm getting jobs here, but it's not what I want to do. I was getting a lot of work back. And basically, I was all over the place. And I said, you know what? Take some time away and go get, you know, inverted commas, a normal job. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed and reached out to so many different places. And... A lot of the times it was like you're not trained or you're not you don't have the skills to work in a call center or do jobs that I was like, I'd I'd be good at this. I could do this. You know, I've all these skills from, you know, performing or running workshops or teaching, etc. And a lot of the feedback I got was like, oh, you have a music degree. Mm, Maybe Mm -hmm. not like, you know, you don't have these skills behind you. Whereas in my heart of hearts, I was like, I feel like I could do that. From your position now, could you say, you know, what you have learned from the arts industry and your strengths that you have as a dancer, choreographer, artist that has now easily fitted in to a more, is it fair to say corporate world? Sure. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. A certain element of it, I'd say it's sort of startup tech vibes on one side and then on the other side it's that it's the clients that I'm liaising with so that was definitely on the more of the corporate end Um, but Mm -hmm. I have to say 100% everything that I learned from you know my dance classes when I was young right through to the work that I was doing right before the pandemic hit us um, all of that sort of allows me to be quite a communicative person because ultimately my job is about communication it's about sort of creating choreography or movement for a piece that communicates the story um or on the other hand it's about communicating with the artists that I'm working with so ultimately when I took this job they've moved me to a position that is all about communication and it's all about cultivating relationships that can be sustained over longer periods of time um and you know I spend a lot of time chatting with clients but not just about work but getting to know them and in the getting to know them you can work with them better just like we do in a rehearsal room you know if you understand that person a little bit personally then you can Mm -hmm. really get the best out of them and um, that's definitely the absolute parallel that can be drawn Um, and I think it's it's such a shame really that uh, people think that if we're trained in an artistic vocation that we don't have the skills because I think actually we're equipped with pretty much every skill um we might not I, d- have I totally the knowledge. agree with you you know we might not have the knowledge we might not have that sort of uh the data if you will but we've definitely yeah. got the drive the will to sort of learn and upskill we've got the interest in making new connections most of the time we've got an interest in delving into something and really sinking our teeth into a project you know so many people that I work with underestimate themselves because so often when looking for other work or when trying to support your artistic um, endeavors so many of us are often told that we're 
not qualified to do that. Whereas actually, yeah. I think we most of us pretty much are. Yeah, and I think like during that period that I was talking about, I was like, why can't they like translate, you know, yeah. what I've done there to what they need? Like it's a direct translation for me. But mm. of course they can't see it because they don't understand the skills that we have learned in the way that we have learned them. Absolutely. Um, and it's only now, well, not now, like in the last few years, that maybe I'm able to go, oh, okay, I get it. But I think it's so important to kind of spread that word to say like artists, you know, have, as, you, as, you, as you've just said, the motivation, the drive, mm. the communication skills, there's so much there that I feel most artists could step into any role and go, well, let's make this work. I've had to make worse work. Yeah, yeah. I think there are a couple of elements to it. I think, you know, they might not know what skills we have, but we're in control of how we frame the skills that we've accumulated. So for me, when I was in interviews for Fit, for example, you know, they'd be asking me questions that if I didn't, if I thought too much about them, then I would probably have over- overanalyzed them. But ultimately, you get to look at your experiences and say, take communication, for example, which is what I was talking about earlier. You know, I've been communicating on an artistic level, but I just had to frame it in a slightly different way so that they could draw that link themselves. But I had to create that link for them and talk to them in detail about what I would be able to transfer from the arts over into this more tech startup fitness space um so i think we have to think a little bit out of the box sometimes when we're approaching yeah. other other industries and lines of work and then as soon as you have that thread and you sort of have padded out you know y- your argument i suppose for why you'd be good for that role then nine times out of ten i'm sure most of us would be able to sell it you know with it with a little bit of yeah. reframing perhaps and then i think the other thing is that you know so many of us in the arts i find you know, we're kind of hum. We can be quite humble, um, and mm-hmm. we, we don't necessarily go into um, spaces really owning it and really feeling like we can, you know, speak of our worth and really big ourselves up. And I've spoken to so many people, not just in the arts really, but about you know writing that personal statement and really making yourself glow or feeling confidence going into an interview or into an audition and really just planting your feet and really owning that moment um because you know your own worth and i think that some of sometimes you know we've got this little strain of anxiety or of over critiquing ourselves um and i think that that seeps into a lot of things that we try to to commit to including getting other jobs outside the arts but also getting jobs in the arts <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and i actually think what that could be as well is you know sometimes we really identify with our craft or our skill like you know for so many years singing was me i was mm. nothing else but singing that's who i identified as that's how people identified me now i've done a lot of learning to know that like singing is not my identity but to step, you know, to always be stepping into an audition, as you say, and getting judged, critiqued, it's almost like knocking yourself down without you realizing it. So then when you step into an area where you're vulnerable, being like, oh, God, these people don't think I'm going to be smart enough mm-hmm. or, you know, have the right skills. 
you do kind of then start being like, why, what am I doing here? Like, I, I, I'm just going to play the like, oh, well, I know I'm not good enough, but you know, like, you know, I, I have done this and that's taught me this and this and this, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know I'm not that good, yeah. you know, rather than going, do you know what? I learned all these skills while I was dealing with nerves in front of however many people mm-hmm. and I could no problem do what you're asking me to do. I think that's such an interesting point that you raised. Yeah. My mum used to say to me, because she she always, um, my, both my parents were so supportive of me pursuing my passion and going into dancing and, and then moving off from that into opera. Um, but she was always very keen for me to understand that there is a wider world out there to stay connected with. And I've had lots of jobs you know as as a lot of us probably did during study time during university time and then perhaps in the first few years of us working in the industry I had a lot of jobs sort of alongside that and she was always saying to me you know firstly just walk into the room and be absolutely yourself don't try and fit into the the shape that they want you to be Um, especially because it's not your vocation it's not what you want to pursue as a career so either you offer them yourself because that's who you're going to be you're not you're not there to sort of you know hold on to the thread of a career to work your way up and the second thing she said just walk into the room like you've already got the job like you already know that you could do the job Um, Mm. because I think that although that could be perceived as slightly arrogant I think that actually what that does is it balances out those nerves so obviously that that those nerves are always going to sit somewhere, you know, whether it be sort of in your tummy or whether it's on your tongue and you get a little bit tongue tied, like those nerves are always going to be around. But I always found that if I walked in going, yeah, I've got a job, I tended to just sort of level out a little bit. Um, and then I was able to be myself just a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's like that um, idea that actually Johnny Ramster, who I studied with, in Ram, mm. um, he was our drama coach, used to say to us, walk in and say, I am what you have been looking for. Yeah, um, exactly. No, I've, thing. Yeah. yeah, I've never actually been able to uh, tap into that area. Um, but I know friends who have been very successful in, di- in auditions who also studied with Johnny and use that idea of mm. walking and going, I'm I'm so glad to be here because I am what you need, mm-hmm. you know, and it is, I think it's lovely that you've kind of explained it like it could be arrogant, but it also balances out all the other stuff that's rattling around in your head. Yeah. Like, you know, you can use it as yeah. a tool perhaps to level yourself out. Yeah. And I, I think it's okay to sort of feel that little pump of, you know, you could call it, call it arrogance, you could call it confidence. Um, but before you go into sort of a nerve wracking situation, like a like a, an audition, especially, you know, just to have that little that little fire of self-worth, because damn straight mm-hmm. you deserve to be there. You're walking into that room for a reason. You've got years and of skill and study under your belt, like plant your feet in that yeah. room and show them what you got. But, you know, that's easier said than done, because obviously there's all the other circumstantial fluff around it. But yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very tricky one. I'd love to flip it on its head right now mm. and ask you, what have you learned about yourself, whether that be, you know, your personality traits, whether that be what you need in your life, whether that be what you want in your life, having moved into this different kind of career, taking all your artistic skills with you, you know, having been in a different environment, a different industry, what have you learned about yourself? Because I'm just asking from a point of view 
of me being in this podcasting industry, mm. I have had the opportunity to go, mm, I'm actually not too bad at this. Mm-hmm. Whereas previously I would have been like, you know, let's say for um, technology kind of things. Oh, I couldn't do that. Like I was literally like, no, I don't understand technology. I don't even know what a space bar is. <laughs> and now I'm so fascinated yeah. by like the editing side of things and sitting down and working things out. And a part of me has gone, maybe I'm good at it. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Mm. But it's awakened this like passion in me that I almost cut off from myself. Because I was like, I am a singer and that is all I can do. (laughs) Is there anything you've learned about yourself that you're like, I'm really interested in this or let's let's plant the feet on the ground or you're really good at? Yeah, I think. I think it's been such a useful experience at this point in my career, sort of, you know, nine, 10 years in. Um, I think it's affirmed some, some, some things for me. And it's also offered me completely brand new information and experiences that I would never have got otherwise. So in terms of what it's affirmed is that I feel that I am still a creative person. I want to be in the arts, so I will circle back around and return to the arts when when it's the right time for me. Um, I do feel like um, I'd lost a bit of my confidence um, about 18 months ago and I was starting to be quite self-analytical. So I think that taking a break and experiencing something totally different has made me realise that I I I, I, I was where I belonged. Um, there was just work that I needed to do on myself. There was work that I needed to put into my craft. There was work I needed to put into myself mentally and emotionally to be able to, you know, stick to the course with a little bit oh more my grounding. God, I love that. Yeah. I love that, you know, I was where I was meant to be. I just had a few things to figure out. Yeah. I adore that. <laughs> well, I think it's true. I think it's been nice. I've been able to zoom out. I've been able to look at who I was in that in, you know, as creating movement and pursuing a particular career in opera. Um, I was starting to get quite overwhelmed by it um, and not being able to grasp onto anything firmly. And I felt that that was making me quite anxious. It was making me a little bit angry sometimes. I couldn't quite get a grip of myself. Um, So this time has actually been tricky initially, but has allowed me to really come back to the fact that at its purest, I love being in the arts industry. I love working um, in the theatre and in live music, especially. I love working with fantastic teams of people and cultivating those relationships and supporting people as they work towards this one product, this one show or this one sort of event that is going on. I love that. Um, So it's definitely affirmed that. It's also affirmed what I don't think I could have articulated maybe 18 months ago, but I I really enjoy... um, strategizing um so looking looking at something from a distance um so looking at a project for example and then sort of working out all the different avenues of trying to problem solve through that which is essentially what you do as as a director as a movement director working with the director you're often looking at a score or a piece of music or a story and then you are organizing it you're solving problems you are you're sort of digging through that piece to get to the other side and for me I realized when I started working, you know, in in this other role, um, that it's strategy, essentially. So you're mm-hmm. cultivating, nurturing and producing um, along this strategy line. Um, 
so that's been really cool and I think that now going back into the arts because I've had this different perspective um I'll probably approach creating material and, and working with teams in a slightly different way um a less pressured mm-hmm. way I think and I hope and then I suppose a, a totally new other world is data the magical mystical world of data which I would never have guessed is as creative um as it has been for me and it is yeah. it's it's so interesting it's so insightful you can take you know, a huge bank of data and you can splice it and dice it any way you want and it can tell stories and it can be, you know, visual or it can be um, a pattern that you create or a story that you tell. And I think that um, it's really given me confidence to work in different mediums and to be able to play around with um, information from lots of different sources and to boil it all down to something very pure in the middle of it. Um, which has been really cool to experience. Data's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It like it really it's something that I've been thinking loads of is this idea. I think everyone is creative. Mm. I just think you have to find your way of being creative. And I think sometimes we can be stuck hand up, me as well, in what creativity is. But I think you've just explained it as data is creative is creative Mm -hmm. like I feel like sitting on a computer working out how all the functions of an editing program is creative like you know organizing my schedule can be creative I spoke to an agent um recently um and I'm also doing a series with him at the moment with all his singers and we spoke about his job as creative I think you can find creativity in almost every single role or task or activity you take on and for me what I'm hoping like you said is I'm going to step back into my singing and where I felt I was a creative uh, being but bring so much more of different parts of my brain that Mm. are also creative but maybe the world doesn't um say they're creative or you know give the definition that they're creative or something like that I'd love to know your kind of thoughts on that whether like different areas of our brain are actually creative but we don't necessarily see them as creative like you were explaining with I think so for sure I think every element of life can be creative if you allow it to be if you have the playfulness or the willingness for it to be creative I think sometimes we can we can put things in boxes or we can be quite rigid with the way that we process things so you know a lot of what I do is data processing, essentially, which could be the most boring thing in the world. Or you could, you know, play around with that process and make it really interesting for yourself or switch it up every now and again to see mm-hmm. what gives you the most joy or um, delivers you something totally different or nuanced than you weren't expecting. So, you know, I I feel like I'm creative with all sorts of things, even my morning routine, like you can be creative with the way that you wake up in the morning and the processes that you go through, you know, having your breakfast, what are you going to have? Who knows? You know, and I think the most mundane things can, and actually sometimes it is the most mundane. It can be the most trivial things that can be the most beautifully creative because often those are things that you're just doing for yourself. So when you're doing them, nobody's watching you, nobody's judging you. But actually if, if somebody were watching you, they, they could be like, what? this is just fascinating what you're doing. You know, I I often found, um, I I love watching people write. So at school, I would watch people write 
um, you know, we could be in an English class or something. And for them, what was just so mundane, they were just writing, you know, the answer to a question in a notebook or something. I just thought what they were doing was magical because it was so different to my choices. So other people's, it's it's that thing, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure, you know, somebody Mm. else's, you know, processes that they go through can be so creative for other people if they were watching it but then you have the option to make them creative too I mean it's also like how you dress it's how you you know put things in a room you might not even think about it but to other people that's a creative choice um and I think that there's there's that beauty in so much of what we do as humans all the time and some sometimes not thinking about it is actually the thing that makes it so beautiful and mesmerizing and Mm. you know makes people stop and I loved that idea of writing because it's like (laughs) everyone's content is different yeah but then how you're actually expressing it like you know the way people would be like you know I love your writing or like some people have said to me your writing is very feminine you know and other people People would be like, your writing is really messy. I don't understand your writing. Other people like, oh, I can understand. It's actually like different content, but also, you know, how you're expressing it is different. I think there's a I gorgeous mean, parallel there. For me, you've hit it. It's, it's all about expression, right? So every yeah. choice we make can be creative. Therefore, every creative choice is an expression of who we are. So, you know, the way that you write is an expression of how you might be feeling that day. Like I've got notebooks from when I was a kid and some days I was trying really hard and you could see that my cursive was like dug into the page because I was trying really hard to like, you know, really be perfect. And other days I was clearly like having a right paddy because it would just be all over the place and I didn't care. So it's it was sort of a window into not only what I was writing, it was also just how I was, fe- how, you know, 12 year old Caitlin was feeling on that day. Yeah. <laughs> And it's kind of what you said to me just before um, we started recording. I was telling Caitlin I had a little bit of a nightmare with some audio. I lost some audio, very anxiety inducing. Other audio was still there, but it wasn't, you know, the standard that I would like it at. As little perfectionist Ferg jumps in. (laughs) Were you kind of mentioning there, you said to me, and I, I hope I get the phrasing right, was that that's what you created in that moment Mm. that's what happened that's what it was about and I kind of am paralleling that to you like digging into the page that's how you felt at the moment and you might look back on it and go oh it might make you feel uncomfortable or you might look back and be like god that's a mess but that was a moment in time now so this this what we're talking about now is something that I find so hard to maintain when you apply that to your work as a, as an artist. Yes. Because wouldn't it be blooming glorious to have the freedom to make something that was complete trash and then actually just look at it and go, yeah, but that's what it was. Like that's sort of what it is and what it was. And wouldn't that be so oh. nice that we didn't, we, you know, you just sort of immediately move on from it. And I found that a lot of my anxiety going back to, you know, 18 months ago, my anxiety was be, was was being so analytical of the work that I'd done, so the shows that I'd worked on, all the classes that I taught, just being really sort of subconsciously cruel to myself in moments where yeah. I'd maybe done something that was a little bit rubbish. And I think that although in the moment you're sort of moving on and you're sort of get cracking on with it, I think over time those little niggles 
accumulate and they become a little bit more weighty than you might have expected them to be but wouldn't it be so lovely to just have that relationship with yourself where you can go into any creative environment whether that be a professional one or a personal one and just allow yourself to be absolutely true to who you are in that moment work hard to make it the best that you can make it you know you don't want something that's inefficient I think creativity at its finest when somebody's being truly creative is actually quite efficient and it's quite pure mm. therefore it works very well because you're making that choice quite fluidly and it's connected with absolutely the moment that you're existing in so you know wouldn't it be nice if we could just do that (laughs) in the room you know and and not have this and I see it a lot with myself and with peers that we're watching ourselves as we're creating stuff as we're doing things we're judging ourselves which is not playful it's not joyful it's not fun it's all the things that creativity is meant to be because we're stepping out and going you need to be better Mm -hmm. that wasn't good enough Mm -hmm. this person thinks this of you like we're literally and I think that that's the um issue when it comes to maybe being an artist Mm -hmm. um or taking it on as a career absolutely so much and I think that that's a huge thing that I wish I'd learned earlier really was that the more you sit in your own head and watch yourself as you work um it's almost like if you imagine an out-of-body experience and you're floating above yourself, watching yourself as you make decisions or as you create things for the first time and you're acting spontaneously and you have this sort of floating version of yourself constantly watching from above, analysing your own choices, thinking about what other people are judging you on or anything like that. You become your own ceiling. You're constantly stopping yourself. And I think, you know, that weight of your your own just general noise and self-judgment um can build to be quite um a, a silent but not particularly useful partner as you go through your career and, and try and open yourself up to as many opportunities yeah. as you can um, it's quite detrimental actually to art it's awful and you can see what's so, what's so sad is that i can feel myself doing it and I can see it when people are doing it to themselves. And and you you almost want to like, sh- I need somebody to shake me or to like almost grab the, the floating version of me off me. Or I want yeah. to go up to somebody that I'm working with and I want to say, I can see you thinking about what you're doing as you're doing it. Stop doing that. Just enjoy it. And then we can have, everyone can then, then be more playful. Um, and I think that if we had that language a little bit more with each other, then that yes. could be so useful as well. Like, say, if we were working together and, you know, just as a shorthand, I could say to you, Fergal, I can see you're watching yourself. And there was just a tool that we had that we'd learned potentially in training or that we, you know, we built for ourselves over time that we could just go, oh, I am watching myself. Give me a second. Just going to organize my thoughts. And then you can allow yourself to be a little bit more free. And I'm sure that there are, and I use some of them, I suppose, there are tools that you can do to shake that out of yourself but it's really yes. hard I think it's really difficult and I, it's really personal I think mm, and absolutely. I think it's it's something that I want to get into with you um I've I've thought about this area as well how do we challenge it how do we challenge it as and I mean in the environment of the arts industry like I'll throw out an idea to you as I think we all have to be less judgmental 
because for me a lot of the fear comes from will people like me will i get embarrassed will people think i'm good enough even like the little me will people laugh at me Mm -hmm. you know and will people make fun of me which is like heartbreaking to say as a 33 year old man but that's still the child inside of me you know yeah and I would love and I challenge myself every day to take away any judgment I have and try and reshape my mind to being like why am I judging them what is it saying about me what is it challenging in me and what do I actually want for that person that'd be one area I think we could all come together and challenge this idea so we're less in our heads mm. and more present. Do you have any ideas around that of how we can challenge this idea of the floating, you know, extra person above our heads? <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think so much of it is to do with the support networks that we have with our peers and with our colleagues. Okay, and potentially that you know starts. Uh, colleges um, on on courses and then you know that then goes through into the work environment but you know for example I've been watching a bunch of the Olympics like I'm totally digging loads of the Olympic events at the moment but what's fascinating because none of their family can be there so these people these athletes are being cheered on only by their colleagues it's only Mm. their work friends that are there and you can see through these events that it is the teammates that are buoying these people up, that are making them be the best versions of themselves that they can be as they're competing. And I think that's true for anything that we do as people. If you've got a really supportive team that are cheering you on from the sidelines, whether that be friends, family or colleagues, you are going to feel that extra boost of confidence and the freedom to do your very best and you can only do your best when you're feeling free and feeling focused and the only way you can be free and focused is by sort of getting rid of that little floating version of yourself analyzing you so I think a huge part of it is about celebrating people celebrating every moment for a person whether it be you know the most fantastic thing that they've ever done whether it be somebody's most beautiful aria that they've ever sung or whether somebody's, you know, had a really um, unfortunate, you know, moment on stage where they've messed up at a really crucial time or they've blanked or they've gotten themselves injured. Like you're there, you're still there. You don't judge yes. them for it. You just celebrate that they've had that experience. You move on to the next thing. And then as the friend, you have the power to help that person. And I think it is so much about potentially changing the way that we socialize within our training perhaps Mm. that actually it's more about celebrating people's journeys and recognizing that everybody is very different everybody's way of connecting with the arts is going to be totally unique to their personality and the, the the sooner we can recognize that and the sooner we can start to celebrate it and bolster each other the earlier i think you lose that or the easier it is i think is to lose that sort of analytical part of your brain as you're performing or as you're creating there is so much incredible stuff there (laughs) that i am like where what direction do we go in but the first (laughs) thing i do want to say is imagine being that friend i know imagine being 
that person when someone fucks up that you come off and you can be that person that shoulder that hug that it's okay like you also were awesome here it's just a moment in time you know there's so much in that word support Mm. that I think I'm starting to learn more and more is crucial to the arts industry Mm. and maybe has been lacking and that's kind of where I want to travel next in this conversation because you mentioned something to me when we had a conversation about um was it two weeks ago Mm -hmm. I think at this stage now but you said opening up and you've kind of touched on it opening up the conversations earlier Mm -hmm. how we speak to each other how we you know, in I'm thinking particularly about college and particularly yeah. about the industry or the environment that we would have shared and that we know each other from. Yes, from different angles, but like, and that I, idea of support, opening up conversations and learning how to support, encourage, understand, mm-hmm. empathize at the college level, which I'm going to say I don't think happens at the moment for many a different reasons. Mm-hmm. But I would love to know what you me- meant when you said to me, we need to open up the conversations earlier. So I think there are a few, <laughs> there are a few um, threads that I could follow here, I guess. Why don't I start with the first one that sort of sprang to my mind, which was I think that it needs to be addressed earlier that the concept of your peers being your competitors is the element is the elephant in the room right so ultimately the people that you're studying with the people that you share a voice type with or the people in dance for example that you might have a very similar dance style or a similar physique etc they will inevitably at some point be your competition and i think the sooner that that is addressed spoken about openly and that that is discussed and supported f- from like the ground up, then, you know, competitive behaviours, not only with your peers, but with yourself as well, can be dealt with much earlier on. Um, and I think that, you know, talking about competitiveness and how sometimes it can be helpful and sometimes it can't, can help us organise ourselves um, socially within the, the college environment. Because, you know, as you move through a course, I think things start to change. You know, you know, you'll start off getting to know people. You'll start off sort of testing the waters, seeing what personalities you're compatible with, sort of selecting your group of friends. But then you have a whole bunch of other people that you share a, a, an academic year group with that aren't your friends necessarily, but are your peers. And I think it's in the peer relationship that there could just be a little bit more discussion about and addressing. And I think. You don't have to be friends with somebody to support them. You don't have to know somebody very well or personally to celebrate them when they are working through and going through their artistic processes, especially at a college level. So, you know, when I was studying, I had a year of maybe 70 people. So quite a big year. My my friendship circle within that was quite small, obviously. But we tried to, as much as possible, support every show that we went to that somebody was performing in or choreographing in. And we tried not to, or I tried not to, in the end, it took me a long time to get there. But I tried not to watch something 
think that it's fantastic and then immediately reflect that back onto myself. So it is very difficult um, when you're when you're slightly immature in terms of your emotional relationship with yourself to see somebody else doing brilliantly and then not feel jealous or that feeling of competitiveness creep in or feel that, you know, that that little floaty self appear again, feeling really analytical, going, I have to work harder. I'm not good enough. This person's clearly doing X, Y and Z. Therefore, I need to double down on X, Y and Z. Um, but actually more watch them and watch them for who they are because they're on a totally different path than you are. Um, so I think, I think it's an ongoing thing, but the conversation could be started, you know, so much earlier. I mean, even before you get to college, even, you know, if you choose to sort of select GCSEs and A-levels that are going into that more artistic place where essentially what you're doing is a very subjective, um, course, you're doing something creative, um and you know when when you are on a course when you are doing an academic course in an art form you're being judged already by the teacher you're being judged already by the coach you're being marked out of 100 you're being graded you don't need your peers to be doing additional judgment on top of that because those grades are already horrendous that's that's your experience that's your subjective creative experience being marked out of 100 which i think is mad but you know it has to be done it has to be like oh, does this it? is oh, the does thing. It? I don't know. <laughs> does it? But but some people thrive from that. Some I know. people love that. And yeah. something I just wanted to pick up as well um, was this idea of when you're going through a tough time in college and you're seeing other people around you mm. really doing incredible. Mm-hmm. They might be doing incredible because six months earlier they struggled mm-hmm. and they worked through it mm-hmm. and they like pushed through it. And to really learn, which I know is really difficult, and I know everything we're saying is so tricky when you're actually in it, but learning that those moments when you are being challenged, whether that be in your technique, your identity, your Mm -hmm. artistry, how you sing, really being thought, just picking up on this idea of opening the conversation, Mm -hmm. to have the conversation of, this is my struggle right now. Why is it my struggle? Mm -hmm. How am I going to emerge from this the best I can with the best knowledge knowing because a lot of the time it's just I just have to do better and I'm going to like for me I was like I'm going to go into a room for three hours and I'm just going to basically scream Mm. until I sound good until I sound like so and so or until I sound like the way this coach told me rather than Mm -hmm. going into the room and being like this is what everyone is saying to me what's resonating what's not Mm. why am I here and learning not only to open conversations with other people but open conversations with yourself and know that you can go against what a coach is saying Mm. or a teacher is saying and then open the conversation with them yeah absolutely I think I think, you know, at that age, if if you're going to university, if you're starting, you know, a degree course at 18, that's still very young on an on emotional level. You're quite emotionally oh God, immature yes. at that time. So I think that there is a hotbed of sort of, it's a mess up in here, you know, like emotionally, hormonally, mentally, we're all over the place. Um, but I think that, you know, one way of colleges engaging with their students 
you know, it, it has to be on those emotional levels, you know, making yeah. not only having those one to one sessions where you're talking with people, but also encouraging peers to discuss their issues with peers, arming an entire group of students who will at some point become professionals in the industry, arming them with the tools to communicate healthily with each other, to notice when somebody might need a little bit of support or notice when somebody might need some distance. And I think that in having those conversations and in keeping them just very, very simple, I think often when we think about talking about our challenges, we often, it feels calamitous, it feels cacophonous in terms of noise and density but actually just helping to simplify really boil things down to the roots of what the challenge might be or what the feeling yeah. you're feeling might be and then the more that you can simplify and get it down to the purest form then you can deal with it and then you can look at it face on and then you can actually start to move forwards beyond it but you know as, as you say going into that room and making yourself work 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 for hours on end you're narrowing yourself away from yes. those conversations right so I think that you know especially my time doing my degree and this was sort of almost oh my gosh am I going to do this yes it's like 12 years do ago it. Now, 12 years ago <laughs> I had to do them 12 years ago now when I started my degree you know I, I didn't feel like I was ready to um really face myself um mm. but I also wasn't necessarily supported um, to be able to build that emotional um, and mental awareness. And I think there is a little bit more of that coming through at the moment. We're seeing it a lot, you know, going back to the yeah. athletes, the Olympics, we're seeing a lot more awareness being generated and the discussion is happening. Um, but it's about how that's implemented in the workplace and, you know, in the, in the institutional environments to make sure that ultimately it's healthy. It's a healthy environment to working and to growing yeah and i think something as well now from my experience and from a lot of colleagues experiences is the idea of success mm -hmm. and that there is almost you know one or two or three you know ideas of success when you're studying and mm -hmm. you are always aiming for that you're always like i must be that and if I am not that, I'm a failure. And unfortunately, then a lot of people step into the world, into the industry. They don't become that. And then they believe they are a failure when they're not a failure because they've succeeded in so many other areas. But what you mentioned to me, which I think is brilliant, is the idea that what you are studying could be the gateway mm -hmm. or the springboard to the thing that you need to do. And you spoke to me about a theory that you have that some people are born to be in the arts industry, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're born to be on a stage. But when they've been studying in a particular environment, they've been taught to believe, I must be Maria Callas or else <laughs> yeah. I am a failure. Yeah. And that's, for me, I'm like, that's so unhealthy, mm. you know? Because we're all not going to reach those levels. And that's yeah. actually fine. There's a lot of success in the middle, mm -hmm. a little bit above, you know, a little bit below. There's success when you're doing shite as well. Absolutely. And just surviving, you yeah. know. Celebrate those days too. <laughs> Celebrate those days. But I would love to get your thoughts and ideas on, 
your theory that you presented to me and maybe mm. rewording it if I have not worded it no, in the right way. But also this idea of springboard, gateway. So I think I started to think about this a couple of years ago, actually, um, when I when my sort of self-doubt started to trickle in and I was trying to keep myself afloat um, and I was thinking about how I ended up here because I never thought I would end up working in this particular industry doing the role that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, some days I feel particularly fraudulent that I'm even, you know, teaching the likes of, you know, yourself when we were at, at, together at RAM. And, you know, it's it still sort of blows my mind that I've ended up here. So then I started to think about how this has sort of happened and how I can actually start to take ownership of my trajectory going forwards because up until this point I felt like it's been a little bit out of my control which isn't always a bad thing so boiling things back down to the current state of our schooling system you know it's very follow the path do the do the GCSEs do the A-levels you're constantly streamlining your subjects you're aiming for those high grades you're then pushed through that system into university but not really at any point for me specifically was there any discussion about apprenticeships or internships or, or looking sort of outside of that very linear primary school, junior school, high school, maybe a sixth form, maybe doing a degree or, or, or a diploma, essentially. Um, yeah. And I think that when I chose to take, um, take a place at Laban, um, I went into that thinking that success was me coming out of that degree as a dancer, being ready to be a professional performer. And I knew that Laban um, was sort of renowned to be not necessarily like the best technical school, but it was meant to be a very, very creative um, space where choreography was really supported and that you're encouraged to really find your choreographic voice. And that scared the shit out of me, I won't lie, because choreography was just the scariest thing that I could possibly think of at that point. Yeah. So still, I was thinking it has to be the performance track. And I sort of wish that there had been some other voices in my head, whether that be voices that I'd cultivated myself or people from out in the arts industry to give us sort of a wider look at what roles and what jobs were out there in the arts. But there wasn't. So I pursued dance and I pursued it hard, but very quickly realized that I'm not mentally or emotionally built to pursue a career as a performer. And that was a pretty bitter pill to swallow because after, you know, a three year degree, but I'd been dancing since I was sort of two or three years old. So to then realize at sort of 23 that realistically, was I genuinely going to make a career out of this? The answer was no. And I had to look at it. I had to stare at it in the face and deal with it. And then the question was, well, what now? <laughs> what now? Because up until that point, there hadn't been anything else. And as you referred to, yeah. my identity was that form of art. Um, so, yeah, finding my way into opera was a complete accident. Um, I did an audition for a show at Glyndebourne, but didn't get the role, um, but was curious to understand more about opera. So, um, I asked if I could come in and watch a rehearsal, which they kindly let me do. Um, wow. And from that point, it sort of spiraled because I met people and I started to have some chats about what opera was, really, because I didn't yeah. have an, any idea. And it all sort of like spiraled from that point. 
Um, but unless I'd been curious and unless I'd sort of wanted to stay in touch after a rejection, this wouldn't have happened. And it's actually because I got rejected from a dance role. I got rejected from an audition to perform in the piece. But instead of taking that rejection badly or sort of moving on to the next unsuccessful audition, probably, I thought, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to push into this. I'm going to switch my perspective a little bit be a bit curious and give my time to something that I don't understand at this point in my career. And because of that one random email that I sent, because I was feeling quite curious and probably quite confident that day, my career took a complete left turn from that moment. Um, and that was, I think, February 2014. So that, that, that month, it, it was, it was sort of a transformative time. And I think that over the years, looking back on that experience, I've realised that there needs to be so much more discussion about the arts and what roles that are there and how if you've studied a performative vocation, you have the tools to, yes, pursue that performance career. But equally, you've learned a hell of a lot about that art form and you can take what you've learned and you can go into lots of different um, roles within the industry. So my theory is this, <laughs> and my theory could be complete rubbish, but I genuinely believe that there are a lot of people that were pushed through vocational courses that believe that they should be doing the performance element, but there are lots of people that are in the wrong place. There are lots of people that know so much about our industry um, and could do fantastic work in other areas of the sector. But because they've not been given the opportunity or been allowed to be curious, being given that permission to fail, essentially, at that yes. linear pathway, because they felt that that's not a possibility, they haven't explored these other options. So we've got fantastic people in the wrong place at the wrong time. And if we had a reshuffle, if we shuffle the deck of cards that is the arts industry, we could find people land in the right position and they could change so much. They could do so much brilliant stuff. And, you know, going back to my slight adjustment in career over the past um, year and a half, you know, I'm doing choreography now and I will probably, you know, go back into um, the production side of theatre initially. But I'm so open now to exploring other positions and other roles and trying to understand how the skills that I've learned and, and built can transfer over into a role where I might actually be better suited down the line. But I need this experience to be able to make that choice. So yeah. I, I don't see it. It's such a shame that we see, you know, failure as, as being, you know, not doing the thing that you studied to do. I just yeah. don't think that that's a thing. You can study and that that course that you study or that art form that you study is a path. It sets you off on the journey. It open, it's the gateway. It opens that door. And then whatever is on the other side of that door is abundant. It's anything that you want it to be. You could travel in literally any direction. It doesn't have to be straightforward and linear. Um, and I wish that I'd given myself that freedom to sort of have a bit of more of a playful time when I was a bit younger to sort of experience and experiment with different positions and um, different roles a little bit earlier because I think that I might have you know prevented myself a fair amount of sleepless nights and paranoia yeah. and exhaustion <laughs> wow yeah. I just think what you have said is incredible <laughs> I just think it's like from you mentioning earlier, you know, 
we need to, or the conversations should be opened up very early on. I think a lot of the conversations that you've opened up today are just, they've really inspired me to be like, do you know what? You know, I can challenge my own art. I can challenge, you know, the industry. I can try and find, I don't know if you've meant this, but trying to find your place within the arts industry and not necessarily always looking at the thing that you think it should be. Mm. Because you might go, you might sidestep. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, I love the editing and producing side of this. Mm -hmm. When I started podcasting, I was like, I I just want to be in front of the mic. Whereas I never would have explored the other area if I wasn't like, "Mm, I'm a bit curious about that. I want to know how that all happens. Mm. You know, and if my ego came into play, it'd be like, no, 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 no. You, you, You stay in front of the mic and, you know, let the other things happen. Whereas so much lessons and learning has happened and... God, Caitlin, the conversations that are going <laughs> to bounce around in my head from everything you've brought up is just amazing. I think you need to be at the forefront of these conversations. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I just find it. It's so open, isn't it? It's, there's no solution. There's no end game. And I exactly. think that's what makes it such a joyful conversation to be had, because ultimately you're just allowing yourself to explore. You're allowing yourself to be intuitive and follow your curiosity and not judge yourself it goes back right back to the beginning of our discussion about judging yourself and if you're constantly judging yourself for your failures or for your choices then you're always going to be putting yourself into this box so for me I'm I'm trying and it's a constant exercise for me and it's and it's hard because when you're feeling a little bit more run down or if you're feeling just a little weaker on the inside it is much easier for those negative thoughts or for those one track mind linear thoughts to creep in because they're easier for your brain to manage it's hard for for that curiosity to exist when you're feeling a bit low um and i think you know when the moment strikes when that just feeling of curiosity strikes follow it don't second guess it you know i sent that email that changed the course of the next nine years it could be that i send an email tomorrow that changes my next 10 years. It could be that I meet somebody next week that will move my whole personal life in a particular direction. You know, you just, but unless you say, as as my other half always says, always say yes to the improvisation. And I think that, oh, oh, what does he say that? Or does he say, never say no to the improvisation? I can't remember which way, but it basically always do the improvisation. Okay. And he he applies it just in, you know, in in the space, like when he's rehearsing, but also just in life. Like if somebody's like, do you want to do this thing? If it's safe and if it sounds cool, yeah, we'll go do it. Do you know what I mean? Like with the camper van, we'll just do it. We'll just say yes. Because then you end up sort of like, sitting on a cliff top watching the sun go down or you're standing in a rehearsal room meeting some super inspiring people or you're sitting in front of yourself having a really cool conversation on a podcast that I've never done before so it's I think it's about trying to for me uh, I just want to pursue those moments find those moments and go for them because that's kind of what life's about right and as artists we have the freedom to do that and I think that that is such a gift. Wow. Oh, my God, Caitlin. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, we could go so many places, but <laughs> I'm going to ask you one final question. Okay. Um, 
I did not tell you that this question was coming. It's nothing we have discussed. Um, when I recorded the first episode of this series, I did not know that this would be the final question. It is now the final question of all of these series. Okay. Or all of this, these episodes in this particular series. What kind of artist are you? What an amazing question. What kind of artist am I? A positive one. I try and be the positive person or part of the positive energy of the room. Try and be that person. And whether that means that I'm supporting people positively, whether it's saying yes to the improvisation, whether it's taking on a challenge and not feeling bogged down by it and being really positive and facing it head on. I try and be that positive, buoyant person in a room um, that people can, can trust as well, I hope. That's what I aim to be. <laughs> anyway, I don't know whether, that's whether I achieve it every time, but that's what I try to be, I think. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been the best <laughs> Wednesday evening after a long day's work I've spent. Absolutely. Um, I'm not actually not going to say in a long time because I had a gorgeous Wednesday evening last week as well. But <laughs> since this last is amazing. Week, this is the best Wednesday you've had since last Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me. You are no, an absolute you. superstar. Thank you for tuning in, and I would love to hear from you over at the Let's Talk About the Arts Instagram page, which is just that at Let's Talk About the Arts. I'm Fergal Curtis, and this has been Let's Talk About the Arts, the collective's women in opera. <laughs>